Charlotte and Jennifer. What a, what a gift this morning. I want to take just a moment and thank you. Uh, was, was that me? Well, I'm going to thank you anyway. We got Craig home on Thursday after three weeks of hospitalization. Uh, he's going to be on dialysis for about a month to determine whether or not the kidney is going to recover. If it does, fabulous. If it doesn't, then it's plan B. But we ride with King Jesus, do we not? There is our strength. But I want to thank you for all the cards and the prayers. There must be a stack of them every day in the mail. And he is just so blessed and, and so thankful for the ways in which you reach out and, and make him feel so much a part of this family of faith. So I really, truly cannot thank you enough. Let's go now to our scripture, which is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Bless, O oh Lord, the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts. O oh Lord, our rock, our strength, our redeemer. Amen. Maximilian Kolb was a Polish priest during World War II, and he is reported to have saved thousands of lives of Jewish people. He was an outspoken critic of the Nazi regime and as a result was arrested and imprisoned at Auschwitz. During his encampment there, he, uh, a prisoner rather, escaped from the camp. In retaliation, the Nazis then took 10 people and said that they would die in that person's place. As they lined them up to be shot, one of the men shouted, but my wife and my children, I'll never see and love them again. And Kolb stepped forward 
and volunteered to take his place. As the persons ready to shoot them were lining up, it's reported that Cobb began to sing a song of praise and that the whole community that knew the words began to sing with him. And he led the whole group in prayer before the shots were fired. Can you imagine that kind of spirit of faith and confidence and joy and release? I have no idea what I'm doing. That's really true. I found myself, I had bought Benadryl for the dog this week, tablets. I found it in the refrigerator yesterday. I may not know what I'm doing. Anyway, what's also interesting is that Kolb spent a number of years in Japan and he built a monastery there. So four years and a week past his execution, we dropped the bomb on Nagasaki. And his monastery survived. Make of it what you will. Each year, in this devotional it says, we reflect on the best and the worst that human beings are capable of. And I say, and the confidence and the joy and the safety and the comfort that can be found in the one who loves us in spite of it. Ephesians comes along this morning to help us reflect with some urgency that Christ is coming again. And that this is a critical in-between time, a kairos time, an important opportune time in which we are to recognize that the difference can be made and urgency of a positive impact can be had. Paul recognizes that our witness must identify that we've moved from our old self into our new self of faith. And these verses then beg the question, in the difficult times that we face, is our witness what we want it to be. Thank you, Mr. B. A just-in-case microphone. Thank you. The early church must have been really struggling when Paul wrote these scriptures, for he acknowledges with a great openness that the times are evil. And he witnesses the community of faith looking a little drunk. Not that they are actually intoxicated, but they are in these evil times reeling. 
They're engaging in regrettable behavior. They're unfocused, they're off balance, and they're out of kilter with God. Drunkenness was new, not a new vice in the New Testament. The resulting debauchery and overindulgence resulted in behaviors that were difficult within the community of faith. In other words, we can look back even to then and realize that we self-medicated. Did you see this week that on Thursday the news reported around 100 people overdosed in a Connecticut city park? Some synthetic version of marijuana. Ernest Jones, a lieutenant in the emergency technician's got call after call of person down, person down. They'd get one kind of revived with medication, get them on the bus, on the ambulance, back to the hospital, and another one, and then another one, and then another one. My friends, the pain in this world is real, and the resulting struggle of us trying to deal with it is just as real still. Paul begs back then and begs of us today, isn't this the time for the gospel? An urgency that our faith make a difference in these troubled days and troubled times. Paul makes no bone about it that the days are tough ones. It's basically in these six verses his version of it's the best of times and the worst of times. We can't pretend that evil isn't real. But people of faith also know it isn't the whole story. We know that the world is God's good creation and that all days are God's gift and therefore filled with potential. This is the time for the living in the good works for which God created us, as stated in chapter 2, verse 10. We can't look on the world, on our community, on our days as simply unredeemably evil. Paul's directive is instruction then may seem a little oversimplified at first blush. He instructs the community to do the one thing it knows best, which is to worship. These folks were out of touch with their call. And it is in worshiping our God that we are reoriented, refocused, moved back to our faith and away from our fears. Because it's in Christian community, when you and I are together, that our compass is reset. In other words, it reminds us to the core of who we are and whose we are, and that our primary purpose is to transform this world into a likeness of Christ and then help keep it on track. Being back on track means the body of Christ 
that we are filled with everything necessary to heal community. I would even say to transform the world. It couldn't be more urgent and it couldn't be more clear. Christ is with us. So make your life count. Learn how to get together with others in worship. Sing those songs of praise. Find your foundation. Renew your focus. Put it back in Christ. Because in this selfie world, we need to be reminded it's not about us. Worship in the community of faith is a part, Paul says, of learning how to cultivate wisdom. He makes a strong admonition with his disciples throughout his teaching never to call anyone a fool because it would be to degrade and dehumanize and subhumanize a human being of God's creating. What he does say, though, is that wisdom is not innate. We aren't born with it. It has to be developed and cultivated. But in Ephesians, wisdom has a decidedly Christian context. We are to start to gain wisdom as we develop a sense in the moment, in any moment, that God is present in our context and that every opportunity, any opportunity, is something powerful and which God is present and we, by wisdom, are connecting the dots. Wisdom is seeing that God is using and shaping the nudges and encounters of our world for kingdom ends. But it's because the time we're living in is not about us. This is God time. God opportunity. It's urgent. Do you remember the Iolac wave. Did anybody remember that? A friend of mine was in the office this week who, who said this kind of toxic person in her work environment was tearing at her Iolac. And I said, what are you saying? What is an Iolac? Well, apparently, it's an invisible sign that each of us wears that says, I am loving let me find it again to make sure. This is what happens when you forget your glasses. Another clue. Okay. Where did I go? There we are. It's not that I just, lo I've lost my page, that's all. All right, there we go. Ah, I am lovable and capable. I-A-L-A-C. I so the story goes, I had to look it up right? You can Google anything. 
Ayalak starts with a story of a little guy named Andre. When he was born, he has this invisible little sign that says, Ayalak, I am loving and capable. As he grows a little bit and his parents love and kiss him, his sign gets a little bit bigger. And it's sweet and, and keeps growing until he gets just a little bit bigger and he hears his parents arguing and it scares him. And a little piece of his sign tears off. Rip. He gets just about to the age of two and he hears his parents arguing over a birthday present and his mom says, what do you mean buying that stupid present? This child needs clothes and food. And his little sign tears again. When he gets to his first fourth birthday, his mother and dad are arguing over him not being around very much. And his mother says, your dad's just no good. And his sign tears some more. His confidence in the world begins to break. By kindergarten, his father isn't visiting anymore, or not very often. And so on his kindergarten day, he's all dressed and ready to go to school, and he thinks his dad is going to come get him and take him, and he doesn't come, and he doesn't come, and he doesn't come. And his mother says, your dad's just no good. I hope you don't grow up to be like him. Rip and tear. By the time Andre is in high school, he's used to his mother's tantrums and temper and screaming, and so now he just ignores the whole thing. But he begins to wonder if is he like his dad, no good and not worth loving and no longer capable? And his sign tears into. Is it any wonder that we self-medicate? Wisdom, my friends, is using time that we have to be aware of the brokenness but also aware that the Spirit is present in everything, yes, everything, and therefore everyone. We need each other. We need the worshiping community. We need ways to develop a holy wisdom that will heal and restore us. So wisdom has us asking, are we the witnesses we want to be. Overall, the thrust of this passage is to recognize that our best shot at a new level of wisdom is by being in worship together and being intoxicated by the power of the Spirit. To be filled by the Spirit doesn't lead to some private project or mystical experience, but to the common work of the community as we worship and build each other up. And when we do that, we gain the wisdom and the power to change the world. Read something this week that kind of set me on my ear. 
I had to think about it and chew over it. And then I thought, now there's some wisdom that hadn't crossed my mind. It's written by Chad Bird. The title of his article is, Christianity is not a personal relationship with Jesus. Oh, them's fighting words, aren't they? Well, I had to read it then. And he says, here's the thing. Christianity is not about a personal relationship with Jesus. The phrase is never found in the Bible, and the whole biblical witness runs contrary to it. Our life with Christ is communal, not personal or private or individual. When the scriptures speak of believers, they're a part of a community, a fellowship of believers. Christianity is about a church relationship with Jesus. He goes on to say, I know this runs contrary to what many modern believers think and even desire. In an age when we are more isolated than ever, when our worlds shrink to the size of a phone screen, talk of community sounds like a radical departure from the norm. And it is. But the norm of the Christian faith is not isolated believers, little islands of spirituality, but a continent of Christians banded together by the Spirit. Did you know that in the United Methodist Church we never do a private baptism? Because you're baptized into the family of faith. Communion has never served privately or just to a couple at the wedding. When you serve it, it goes to everyone. Because this relationship with the, indeed with Jesus is in his person, in his body, in his community. So that hands can never be apart without the arm or the elbows or the shoulders or the body and so on. Bird goes on to say, we don't even pray privately. Because when we were taught by Jesus how to pray, it was our Father. Not mine. No one prays alone. We pray in the power of community. Above all, however, Jesus calls us into a living, active, worshiping community that regu regularly gathers around its gifts and its graces to be washed in the body as a stream of baptism, to eat that community meal, to pray together, confess together, grieve together, and eventually die together in praise. Because when we gather, worship, sing God's praises, the Spirit renews us. It grounds us. It frees us. We grow in wisdom and grace. And that's what heals and redeems. And that's why we are the church. It's a little Alabama boy reported in the news, five-year-old, Joshua. His mom 
Ava and he were at a Waffle House having lunch. Joshua at five is curious about things in the world. His ILAC sign appears to be in good shape. Because he looks across the restaurant, sees a, a gentleman, rather shabby, hunched over a table, no food, and being completely ignored. And so he says, Mom, that guy doesn't have anything to eat. Why is he by himself? And she explains that he's probably homeless and he's just come in to warm up and they're letting him be there. So Joshua, as a five-year-old with an eyelash sign intact, says... He needs something to eat. Mom, let's get him something to eat. And they go over and he says, well, thank you. He'd like a cheeseburger. When the cheeseburger arrives, Joshua gets up, runs over to his table, folds his little hands and says, God, our father, God, our father, we thank you. We thank you for our many blessings for our little blessings. Amen. He had church. And all the folks in Waffle House were a community of faith there to restore and to grow in wisdom and strength. Congregations, real, honest-to-goodness family communities of faith are still called together to praise, to serve, to struggle, to grow in wisdom and witness. We find our communion a holy strength that none of us enjoys alone the tie that binds becomes a cornerstone for community. Our being brought close to one another, our sense of reconciliation leads us to believe that God has something in mind for us. Why else would God have bothered to knit us into a community? We may not always be convinced what God's purpose is. We may even argue about what it might be. Yet none of us would ever deny that God has a purpose for our lives and for this community. Let's just make it count. Let's make it count for the kingdom. Amen.